Come to the table is the title of my sermon. The big idea, and it's an expansion of what we saw last week. And if you weren't here, uh, if you're a guest, even if you were here, it's always good to give a little context. What did we talk about last week? Um, But here's the big idea, and this should sound familiar because I only added one thing from last week's sermon. The Lord means to rule over His people by His Word through sacrifice for the purpose of fellowship. Now, when you walk into our home, the Taylor home, what's the first thing that you see? A large wooden table. A Viking table. It's massive. I love it. I asked the previous owner, you know, we saw pictures of the home, and I noticed uh, in the kitchen, in the dining area, was this large, beautiful wooden table, and I contacted the husband and said, hey, will you guys leave that for us? I really like it. We'll buy your house if you leave the table. If you don't give us the table, I'm not buying it. They left the table. It is a big wooden table. There's a large wooden bench on the left side. There's chairs at each head, and on the right side, there's more chairs. Now, what is the table function? What's the function, the purpose of a table? Now, there's many types of table, but the table I'm talking about is the dining room table. What is its purpose? What is its function? Well, it's a place of fellowship. It's a place of communion. It's where relationships in our home grow and are cultivated. It's where when I kill a deer, I throw it on the table and I process it. That is not true because my wife, that would cause so much strife in our marriage. I would never do that. This will be helpful. If you were here last week, remember that the tabernacle is a copy of heaven. What Moses sees when he goes into the presence of the Lord, he is instructed to make. So heaven includes a table, a place for man to meet with God, a place for man to fellowship and commune with God. God desires fellowship with humanity, which is the goal of of the gospel in this for his glory. As one brother writes, the table's not there because God is hungry. It's there as a permanent sign that God invites us to enjoy community with him. Now maybe you're here and you're thinking, Brother Chris, a whole sermon on the table? Is that really necessary? Let's find out. Let me quickly review last week, because last week we looked at the first item that Moses and God's people were instructed to make for the tabernacle, and that was what? It's the Ark of the Covenant. It's the first thing they were instructed to make. It's the most important thing. So let's just step back a little bit. The tabernacle, the purpose of the tabernacle was for God to dwell with his rescued people. And again, the first item... Israel was instructed to make was the Ark of the Covenant, a golden chest, a golden box that housed, contained the law of God. And it functioned simultaneously as God's throne in place of atonement or reconciliation. The idea is this, and I I said this a hundred times last week to make the point. God is king, and that's the image of 
this Ark of the Covenant, the, the Bible describes it as God's footstool to his throne. This is where God would physically show up to rule over his people. That's really big. So the idea there that God is trying to get across to his people is, I'm king. And how does the king rule over his people? What's in the box? His word. God means to rule over his rescued people by his word. Through what? Sacrifice. Because again, not only did it function the Ark of the Covenant, as his footstool to his throne, the place where he visibly ruled over his people by his word, but it was also the place of at-one-ment, atonement, which means reconciliation. The blood of the sacrifice on the Day of Atonement would be sprinkled over the lid. Sacrifice, substitution, so God's people could be near God. Again, one more time, God is king, means to rule over his rescued people by his word through sacrifice. And what we're adding today with the table for bread, it's all for the purpose of fellowship. I want to seek to apply the same four questions that we asked last week of the Ark of the Covenant. We're going to do the same thing for the table of bread, just to stay consistent. What is it? What is this table for bread? What's its purpose, number two, Number three, what does the table for bread teach us about God? And number four, how does it point to Jesus in the gospel? So again, we're looking at the table for bread. And if you know me, you know I love bread. I'm passionate about it. I'm a bready. So made that up. What is it? What is the table for bread? Again, here we come to the second item to be housed within the tabernacle. It's a table. The table itself was to be made of acacia wood, just like the Ark of the Covenant. Its dimensions were roughly three feet long, a foot and a half wide, and about two feet high, 27 inches. And it too, like the Ark, was to be overlaid with gold. And like the Ark, four rings of gold were to be fashioned and then placed at each corner of the table, and then two long poles of acacia wood overlaid with gold to be, what, placed in those holes for transportation. Because what kind of temple was this? It was a movable temple. God's people were going somewhere. Where were they going? The promised land. So again, think of the tabernacle as a movable temple. And along with the table were to be fashioned plates and dishes for incense, and I love the word flagons, like dragons, but flagons. It's like a tall pitcher that contains liquid, and bowls for pouring out drink offerings. And those two were to be made of pure gold. And at the end of our passage, we have the mention of the bread of presence, or the bread of the presence, or the bread of the face, which I'll talk about. That's what it literally means in the Hebrew, the bread of the face. And it was to be set on the table before the Lord, how often? Regularly. In Exodus 40, verse 22, so that's the last chapter of Exodus. This is the end of the book. We see that the table was to be placed in the tent of meeting, in the holy place, not the most holy place. The only item to be placed in the most holy place was the Ark of the Covenant. But in the holy place, on the north side, you would find the table. So what's its purpose? What's the purpose of this 
table for bread. Now, there's several things to notice here. First, we have the mention of incense and drink offerings in verse 29. And this was an indicator that the table itself was a part of the sacrificial system. These particular items, the incense and drink offerings, were not poured out in the holy place, but on the altar outside in the courtyard. The wine used in the drink offerings would be poured over the sacrifice, and the vapor would then ascend to heaven. It was a visible reminder that God was pleased with the offering. Now, here's where I want to spend most of our time. Let's talk about the bread, because what's on the table? It's bread. How many pieces? You could say loaves, but these are like round pieces. I mean, again, bread, I love bread. You probably haven't had bread like this, most of us, these big wafers, these big circular wafers in stacks, two stacks of how many? There's 12, two stacks of six. We find more detail in Leviticus 24. If you have cross-references in your Bible, you probably read this. Leviticus 24, 5 to 9, you shall take fine flour and bake 12 loaves from it. Two tenths of an ephah shall be in each loaf, and you shall set them into piles, six in a pile, on the table of pure gold before the Lord. And you shall put pure frankincense on each pile, that it may go with the bread as a memorial portion, as a food offering to the Lord. Every Sabbath day, Aaron shall arrange it before the Lord regularly. It is from the people of Israel as a covenant forever. And it shall be for Aaron and his sons, and they shall eat it in a holy place, since it is for him a most holy portion out of the Lord's food offerings, a perpetual due. All right, so let's talk about the bread. A few things here. First, and this is really important, the 12 loaves intentionally correspond to the 12 tribes of Israel. The bread, therefore, represented God's provision for his, for his people. Now, bread meant life. Bread meant sustenance. Without it, Israel would surely perish. The bread, much like the manna from heaven, pointed to God's gracious and generous provision to sustain his people. They could depend on him, right? God's people could depend on him because he gave them bread. As he led them, he would provide for them. How often? Recall the language in verse 30. And you shall set the bread of the presence on the table before me regularly. Now, the Hebrew word for regularly, it's tami that means regularly. It means continually. It means ongoingly. The Lord was committed to continually providing for his people. They could depend on him for what they needed to survive. Second, oh, this is good. Second, and I'm going to summarize all this, okay? Second, the nearness of the bread to the Ark of the Covenant, because again, you had the most holy place, there was a veil separating the most holy place from the holy place, and in the holy place, just outside the holy place, you had the table, the table for bread. So the nearness of the bread to the Ark of the Covenant, just outside the most holy place, was also very significant. It symbolized God's nearness to his people. 
God wanted his people to know, not only do I provide for you, but I'm near, I'm with you. Much like the Ark of the Covenant, the table and the bread represented God's desire to be near his people. And not just to be near them, but to be with them in fellowship. That's important. Not not just to be around, but to be with them in fellowship and communion. Now, the name of the bread speaks to God's presence. It's the bread of presence. And again, I mentioned this earlier, the bread of the presence literally means in Hebrew, the bread of the face. Face bread? What, What is this? The bread of the face? If you go forward to Exodus 33, we see the same word. When the Lord says, my presence, literally, my face shall go with you. What does that mean, my face shall go with you? God's people were under his watchful eye. His face was turned toward them. He was with them, both watching them and watching over them. And this speaks of an intimate and personal God. And it was further a call to holiness because God is watching his people. So you should be what? That was motivation to be what? To be holy, set apart. Who enjoys meals? I I know some of you right now are thinking about what you're going to have after church for your meal. Stop. It's hard when you're talking about tables and bread. and I know. You know, in, in Jewish culture, the table and a meal at the table was infused with incredible significance. In our fast food culture, we are more accustomed to meals on the go. Right? I mean, we don't really, we're going to go pick up lunch at Taco Bell. Maybe we'll grab McDonald's for these other two kids because they're really picky. And, you know, when we get home, hey, babe, I'm not going to be there. Eat without me, right? I mean, it's just kind of a go, go, go. Meals don't have quite the significance that they did in this time, in this place, in this culture. There is a whole theology on meals in the Bible. There's a great book by Tim Chester called A Meal with Jesus. Check it out. It's so helpful to understand the significance of meals. If you know your Bibles, and I know most of you, many of you do, important events in the Bible are celebrated through what? Meals, the Passover, and more recently, the Lord's Supper. Early in Exodus, this was a few weeks ago, before Christmas, in Exodus 24, 9 to 11, Moses and the elders are invited up to the mountain to be with God, to be in his presence. And what did they do when they were in God's presence? The text says they ate and drank. They had a, had a meal. It was a fellowship meal with the Lord. If you know your Bibles, you know that the end of our story is described as a what? A meal, a banquet with the Messiah. And of course, Jesus' ministry, if you've read the Gospels, is riddled with meals. Intentional gatherings for the purpose of ministry and revelation. Okay, so when Jesus is eating with people... He's ministering and he's revealing who he is and what he came to do. Oh, I love the Gospels. Jesus uses meals throughout the Gospels to speak to his identity and his purpose in coming. So again, meals in the Bible are significant. And more than anything, they symbolize God's 
fellowship and his desire to fellowship with his people. Psalm 23, verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Tim Chester writes, this is the guy that wrote the book, A Meal with Jesus. Really helpful. He writes, a meal in the presence of God is the goal of salvation. Had a great meal this week with a church family. I love eating. You can probably tell. But hopefully when we sit down with a family or families over a home group, what we delight in is, is not so much the food. We, we enjoy the food, but it's the fellowship. It's those that we gather with. Amen? It's the conversation. It's the time together. So again, Chester writes, a meal in the presence of God is the goal of salvation. And that promise was permanently embodied in the tabernacle table and bread. Third, as we read in Leviticus, and I read it earlier, 24, 5 to 9, the bread was to be for who? It was to be for Aaron and his sons, the priests. It represented God's generous provision for his ministers, those tasked with leading God's people in worship and protecting God's holy, sacred space. And this is important. Now listen to this. The consumption, and if you were listening to Leviticus 24, you heard it. The consumption, the eating of this bread... Again, where was it to be eaten? In a holy place was a reminder of God's people to be what? A holy bread eaten in a holy place is a reminder of God's calling for God's people to be what? Holy, set apart. This was a holy meal to be enjoyed between a holy God and his holy people. Remember the priests, this is important, the priests were tasked with representing the people before God. So let me summarize. I said I would do that. We've answered two questions thus far. What is the table? What is its purpose? And I'm going to summarize now the purpose of the table with three words. It spoke to God's ongoing provision, his ongoing presence, and his ongoing call for the personal holiness of his people. So again, if you want a helpful reminder of the purpose of the table, you can write down. I think I did it for you in your notes. Provision. Presence. And personal holiness. That was the purpose of the table. Provision, presence, and personal holiness. Number three, what does the table teach us about God? A, God provides for and welcomes fellowship with himself. Oh, God provides for and welcomes, desires. Again, there could have been anything, but it's a table. And what does a table symbolize? God's desire for his people to fellowship and commune with him. And if you go into the Holy of Holies, what do you see? A place for atonement so that that fellowship can be made possible. Amen? Oh, God provides for and welcomes fellowship with himself. B, God generously provides for the needs of his people. I don't think we're needy enough, church. You know, we're Americans. We're spoiled. Most of us are. We're a needy people. If you go to Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, and you look at the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit. To be poor in spirit is to acknowledge your spiritual bankruptcy. I am needy. We're needy. 
And God provides for our needs. Amen? He's a good God. He provides for our needs. So what does the table of bread or table for bread teach us about God? He provides for our needs. Number three, or C, God calls for the provision of his ministers. God calls for the provision of his ministers. What have we seen so far with the tabernacle? Here's some of the themes we've seen. I'm going to put it all together. Sacrifice. God's kingly rule. Fellowship in the word. Okay, so sacrifice, that's the Ark of the Covenant. It was the place of atonement or atonement. God's kingly rule. It was also his footstool to his throne. It was where heaven and earth met. It was the place where God visibly ruled over his people. Fellowship. That's what the table represents, is God's desire to fellowship with his people and the word. What was housed in the Ark of the Covenant? His word, his law. All of these things, all of these biblical themes are coming together in the tabernacle, revealing God's supreme will for his rescued people. The table and the tabernacle as a whole speak to God's mission, namely his purpose to rescue a people so that he might be with them. God rescues his people so that we might be what? With him. He doesn't just rescue us and say, okay, good luck, have fun with your life. No, he rescues us to be with him. He desires fellowship with us. So back to the big idea, which we expanded by one phrase, one prepositional phrase. The Lord means to rule over his people by his word through sacrifice for the purpose of fellowship. Isn't the Bible wonderful? How do we know these things? Because they're revealed in the Bible. Number four. Last question. First question was, what is it? The table for bread. Number two, what does it do? What's its purpose? Number three, what does it teach us about God? Number four, how does it point to Jesus in the gospel? Two points here, an A and a B. A, God's desire to dwell with us is beautifully brought to light through the ministry of Jesus. I mean, over Christmas, I, I preached Matthew, and Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And if you look in John's gospel, John 1.14, the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. God desires to dwell with his people, and that is seen most clearly in the gospels with the incarnation, Jesus leaving his heavenly throne and coming to a broken, sinful world to be with us and to make a way for us to be with him through his what? His death. You know, as mentioned earlier, I said that if you study the Gospels, a lot of Jesus' ministry took place in homes around a what? A table. But who's he eating with most often? You could say his disciples, yes, but who's often there? Jesus was scrutinized for this. He was criticized for this. He's eating with sinners and tax collectors, of all people. He came to fellowship with the lost. Now, according to Luke 19.10, who's aware of Luke 19.10? For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. But what, what happens before that? Jesus is having a meal in a home with a wee little man named Zacchaeus, who was not a believer. He was a sinful tax collector, not walking with the Lord. But in the context of that meal, we see Jesus' mission. He came for sinners to seek and to save the lost. There's a few other passages I want to read. Matthew eleven nineteen. 19. 
The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. And then in Mark 2, 15-17, and as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, these are the religious leaders, when they saw, what did they see? They didn't like this. When they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus came to dwell with sinners, but this would necessitate a sacrifice. One more time. Jesus came to dwell with sinners, and we all say amen, but for this to happen, it would necessitate a sacrifice, specifically his. We see this in the Old Testament with the sacrificial system. God's glorious pointer and preview to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Again, so much of Jesus' ministry took place around a table, revealing his desire to fellowship with us and pointing to his death, which would make this fellowship possible. For how long? Eternity. Second, Jesus is the bread of life. As seen with the table for bread in the tabernacle, the bread, yes, represented God's people and their nearness to God, but it also represented God's presence and provision for his people. In John 6.35, Jesus said to them, I am the, the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus, as the bread, and, and you're going to see why going into John after Exodus, is just, it, it just makes sense. It's going to be really helpful, I think. Jesus, as the bread of life, represents the very presence of God, His glorious and gracious provision, and with that, His life-giving sustenance and satisfaction. So here's B, and this is in your notes as well. God's desire to satisfy and fulfill His people, because again, that was part of the purpose of the bread for presence, or bread of presence, or bread of the, the face, was to provide for His people. God's desire to satisfy and fulfill his people is seen in the provision of his son, the bread of life. So here's the question, have you taken the bread? Have you taken the bread? Have you eaten this bread? Have you enjoyed this bread? Are you enjoying this bread? We're going to come back to this. Let me, let me give us seven practice steps, and then we're going to come back. By way of summary, and then from the summary, I'm going to give seven steps, seven ways to apply this passage. Number one, how are you imitating God's hospitality, his desire for fellowship with his people? I mean, that's what we see again. As Christians, Ephesians 5, 1, we are called to be imitators of God, therefore as dearly beloved children. And God, the God of the Bible, is hospitable. He enjoys fellowship with his people. Therefore, if we're going to imitate him, we should enjoy fellowship with, look around, each other. Furthermore, and this is important, this is for the church, this is for Celtics, this is for all of us. When you gather with God's people in this place right now, what do you see? What do you see? 
Do you see a people gathering for the glory of God? Enjoying fellowship with the king through his death in our place? A people being ruled over by his word? (laughs) The point of the church is seen in Exodus 25. I hope you see it with me. We gather for fellowship around the table. Amen? We gather for fellowship around the table, celebrating the death of Jesus, God's provision of a sacrifice for sinners like us. And when we gather, we come under His Word, by which He means to rule over us. Next, how are you caring for God's ministers, His pastors? Are you faithfully giving to the church for the sake of the gospel going forward? Recall Paul's words, 1 Timothy 5, 17-18, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the Scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Thankfully, the Lord always provides for his ministers. So, seven practice steps. What do we do with our passage? Number one, enjoy, this is in your notes, you're going to fill in the blanks, enjoy fellowship with the Lord by regularly gathering with his church. Are you, and I'm looking at all of you, are you regularly prioritizing this gathering? And if you're a husband and a dad, are you leading your family well by bringing them to God's house? Again, the church is the people, but we gather in a place to worship our king and to come under his word, to sing his word and to pray his word and to hear his heard read and preached. Are you prioritizing this gathering? Again, enjoy fellowship with the Lord by regularly gathering with God's church. Number two, practice godlike hospitality by opening your homes and lives to fellow believers. How are you doing there? How are you doing opening your homes and your lives to fellow believers for the purpose of God-honoring fellowship? Number three, joyfully. <laughs> That's important. Joyfully support God's ministers and the ministry of the gospel by faithfully giving to the church. Number four, praise God for his provision and presence. How often do you stop to praise God for his presence, to praise God for his provision? He is ever with us and provides for all of our needs. Amen? Number nine, or five, practice holiness with God's church. Again, what we learn about this table and the bread on the table that was to be consumed by the priest. It was a holy meal to be enjoyed in a holy place from a holy God as a reminder of God's call on his people to be what? Holy. So number five, practice holiness with God's church. (coughs) Repent. Repent of sin in your life. Anything right now that you're putting above Christ, repent, stop, Take extreme measures, if it's gossip, if it's pornography, if you're overly harsh with your spouse or your children, repent, stop. Be holy as he is holy. And as I mentioned last week, enlist the help of believers, fellow believers to hold you accountable. Amen? I mean, guys, God's church, his people were called to be holy, so be holy. And don't try to do it in your own strength because what's going to happen? You're going to fail. Enlist the help of others. Seek out a brother or a sister 
to pray with you and to ask you the hard questions each and every week. Number six, and I'm glad Pastor Dave mentioned this as a reminder, take the Lord's Supper, how often? Regularly. When we do this, we are together celebrating God's provision, His gracious provision of His Son, Jesus. When we take the bread and the cup, we are remembering together Jesus' sacrifice in our place. Don't neglect this meal. It saddens me because we do this once a month. And look around, this place is relatively full right now, but on Sunday nights, once a month, when we take this meal that we're commanded to take, a fraction of this is seen. Don't neglect this meal. This meal is how we remember together the sacrifice of Jesus in our place. We celebrate together who He is and what He's done. It's one of the distinguishing factors of the church. And number seven... Pray the Lord's Prayer and trust the Lord for His daily provision. As we saw last week, and and this is a thesis paper for a graduate student, I would argue that the background when Jesus instructed His followers how to pray, that He had the tabernacle in mind. We saw it last week. Be sure to regularly pray Matthew 6.11. What does it say? Give us this day our, our daily bread. All right, let's come back to the question, have you taken the bread? There is no meal more important, more significant than the bread of life. Have you taken him in? And how do we take in Jesus? How do we receive him? We don't physically eat him. We receive him by faith. We believe in him. We trust in him. We trust, okay, that we can do nothing to save ourselves. We trust that what he did through his perfect life a life that we can't live. Any perfectionists out there? Well, maybe you aspire to be, but you're not perfect. None of us are. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. And so we trust that he lived the perfect life that God's law demands. We trust that he died for us, that he received the wrath of God in our place. He satisfied God's holy wrath in our place. And not only that, we trust that the tomb is empty and Jesus is alive. We trust that not only was he raised, but that he then ascended to the right hand of the Father, blazing a trail back to heaven for sinners like us. We trust that if we believe in him, our sins are forgiven and we're made right with God. Amen? That's what it means to take the bread. Have you done that? Do you continue to do that? When we take Jesus into our lives by faith, He promises to satisfy us forever, meeting our greatest need, which is what? Forgiveness. And bringing us into fellowship with God. Jesus is the only way for sinners like us to have fellowship with God. So turn from your sin, trust in Him, take the bread. Amen? And if you've taken the bread, share the bread. Declare the bread. Let's be some bready Christians, right? Let's go about proclaiming the bread of life, that Jesus and Jesus alone can satisfy our hearts, that Jesus and Jesus alone can meet our greatest need, which is forgiveness and right standing with the Holy God. I can't do it. You can't do it. Your works can't do it. No one can do it. Only Jesus, the bread of life. So take the bread and share the bread. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a gracious God and a sending God. 
You're a God who sent manna from heaven for Israel, your people, when they were in need. But more important than that, as we see in John 6, you sent your Son, the bread of life, to satisfy our hearts and souls forever, to meet our greatest need, which is forgiveness and right standing with the Holy God. Father, I pray that we would be in awe of your sacrifice, the giving up of your Son, that we'd be in awe of what Jesus accomplished through his life, death, and resurrection, and that we would respond appropriately by taking the bread, trusting in Jesus with our whole hearts, our whole lives, and then sharing that bread with others. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.